This is State of Independence, looking at the future of work driven by independent business owners and the companies that work with them. I'm Asya Huck, MBO's Vice President of Talent Marketing. Experts from MBO Partners have studied the trends shaping the way we work for more than two decades. We want to help you take advantage of our insights and structure your future of work. Welcome to State of Independence. Hello, I'm here with Steve King, who is a partner at Emergent Research and as someone I have tremendous respect and admiration for. And actually, we have kind of a fun backstory that has to do with the state of independence. And so that's a reason that we're here today to talk about the 2020 State of Independence Report. But really, I wanted to start with the backstory of how we both met. And uh, we met uh, when we were working with uh, MBO's founder, Gene Zeno, who's considered an independent work expert, and sitting down and talking thoughtfully about what was going on in the workforce, and this is going back 10 years, and what was it that we as a society didn't understand about the state of the American workforce and what the future was going to look like. And Steve, I would love to hear your story of how the state of independence began. Well, it started, I met Gene, I believe, in 2008 in D.C., and we've been studying the independent workforce and the future of work for multiple years at that point. And I had heard about MBO Partners and uh, had gone to the website and thought it was interesting. And I was in DC doing other things and just set up a meeting. And that's how I met Gene. And we, we quickly sort of realized we had the same view of the future of work. And we stayed in touch. And over a year or so, uh, he brought us back in to help with this initial project, which was going to be a one-time study of the independent workforce called the State of Independence. And that's when we met you, Asia, and um, we're now in year 10. It's quite incredible. It really is. I know that looking back to that time and drawing us back to the beginning of the story, we really set out to measure something that nobody was measuring at that time in a way that was uh, defensible or scalable. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that initial thought process, that structuring of state of independence that has led us to where we are today as really a definitive source, one of the best in the nation for independent work. We shared with Gene the view that the number of independent workers was being way understated in the, in the government statistics. And for us, we'd run across that in studies we had done in 2005, 2006. Now, the idea that the workforce was becoming more freelance-oriented and independent work-oriented was hardly a new idea. I mean, that was in the major trend books like Megatrends and, and others in the 80s and 90s. Um, Daniel Pink wrote a best-selling book called Freelance Nation that was released in 2000. So the idea behind the fact that we were becoming more independent terms of the workforce was not a new idea, but it, it lost favor because it was not being reflected in the government statistics. And so we decided to go about asking questions in a way that we felt would uncover the hidden independent workforce. And as it turns out, we did uncover that hidden independent workforce. Interestingly enough, when we first came out with the study in 2010 and and even 2011 and 2012, we were met with a lot of skepticism and pushback, particularly in academic circles, think tanks. People in the workforce saw it, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, But because the official numbers didn't reflect it, we got a lot of pushback. And it probably wasn't until 2014, 2015 with Uber and Lyft and broader recognition that, that our numbers started to become fully accepted. And one of the key goals we had in 2010 was let's go out there and show the world that there are more independent workers. And I think by 2015 or 2016, it took a long time, but we had achieved that goal. And that w- that was the primary goal at the time. And we did achieve it. It just took a little lo- while longer than we would have liked. I always think of that almost as independent work itself is a journey. And those that are on that journey often see themselves as a little bit outside of the mainstream with a certain conviction that others don't have. And I almost feel like how you described the data journey right now feels almost like it reflects the population itself, right? Looking forward to something that you see that others don't see. So I think that's a wonderful uh, backstory to share. So what I'd love to do now is to turn our conversation toward what is happening in terms of the demographics of independent work today? Because behind every data story, and I know there's incredible rich data that we're going to touch on in this conversation, there's a human story. And to me, what's very beautiful about thinking about the 10 years of state of independence is thinking about the transformation of our nation demographically and overlaying the story of independent workers and their part on top of that. So talk about what independence looked like at the start, and what does it look like today, demographically? Yeah, it's interesting. One, one of the one of the things that's most interesting about doing a decade-long longitudinal study is that you actually get to see demographic forces move as opposed to just a couple of years. They don't do much, but over a decade, they do. So at a broad level, back in 2011, what we called matures, which most people refer to as the silent generation, that's the group that basically fought in World War II. And the group older than boomers, baby boomers, who first started being born in 1946. So back in 2011, matures were 10% of the independent workforce. They, of course, have aged out and they don't flip at all. Gen Z, which was born starting in 1996, of course, wasn't even in the workforce in any form a decade ago. And, and now they're the oldest are 24 And they've actually popped up, and they're about 16% of the independent workforce, 18 to 24-year-olds. Gen Z is a very large demographic, and that's one of the reasons their numbers are where they are. And, of course, millennials a decade ago were just entering the workforce. Um, They were about 12% of independents in 2011. They've since, the oldest millennials uh, are are actually 40 this year. Uh, That's one of my favorite things to say to a crowd of millennials. It freaks them out. So I do enjoy that. So so they're now well into it, and they've become the largest group of independent workers, up to a third of independent workers in 2020. And then we always leave Gen X for last, uh, the forgotten generation, because relatively speaking, they are a very small generation demographically. They were almost half back in 2011, of 48% of the independent workforce. Their share is down to 25%. That reflects lifestyle. Uh, Gen X is in, a, in the period of life um, with children and responsibilities and mortgages. And you can see a U-shaped curve in how the generations work through independent work. They're more likely to be independent when they're young, younger, and they're more likely to be independent when they're older. 
and they're more likely to have a traditional job during the middle years. And so the Gen X decline reflects more life cycle than anything else. So yeah, pretty major changes as we've gone across the decade. That's fantastic. And it does help us to see when you start to talk about the numbers, specifically, you know, 16% of Gen Z being independent workers, that really pops for me. And of course, the millennial number is huge and important because it it leads me to thinking about the fact that the future of this particular part of our workforce is going to look very, very different than the present. And I know we're going to touch on that towards the end of our conversation and start to to make some some conversations and decisions about what the future might look like. But before we do that, what I'd love to do is also move into talking about another thing that I think is broadly important and appealing and, and, and certainly to me is, is relevant as a woman who's been at various points a part of the independent workforce. What does it look like from a gender perspective? Independent work, you know, men versus women, are there similarities? Are there differences? Are there things that have surprised you? Up until 2020, it's been pretty consistent that independent work reflects the overall workforce with men and women about equally represented. So we go back to 2011 again, and it was 51% male and 49% female. And as we traveled through the years in terms of representation, it stayed roughly 50-50, you know, bounces around a little bit year to year. This last year, 2020, because of COVID, percentage of females fell quite a bit. They're at 42% versus 58% male. That too reflects the broader workforce. Um, Women left the workforce at a much higher rate than men for obvious reasons. The burden of households falls on women as opposed to men and in our country. And so therefore, with kids out of school, parents needing help, with other caretaking activities. We've seen a decline in the female workforce participation rate, both in terms of traditional jobs and in terms of independent workers. But that'll bounce back as we get over COVID. In terms of how they behave and why they're doing it, there's some very clear differences. Men are much more motivated by money, by the ability to build their own business, by the ability to be in control Women are more likely to be looking for flexibility in terms of their work, and they're also more likely to be pursuing a passion than men are. And so we jokingly laughed about men are from Mars and women are from Venus when it comes to the independent workforce also a few years ago, but it is very different in terms of what motivates men and women to become independent on average. Uh, Obviously, there are women that care about money and men that are pursuing their passion, But on average, they actually do look at it very differently. That's really fascinating. And certainly the uh, COVID impact is a call to action more broadly in our society and one that, like you, I hope will turn back as, uh, as we look back on this pandemic and hopefully see it as part of our distant history rather than our present in the way that it is today. But the motivations are fascinating to me. And I'd love to go a little deeper not so much around gender, but in terms of the topic of motivations, now that you've raised that question, I'd love to know a little bit more about what the challenges are. So we talked about the motivations and reasons to be independent, but there's a flip side to that coin, right? This is a tough path for people to take. And I'd love to hear you talk about some of the challenges that might be on the journey for anyone who chooses the path. Yeah, the single biggest challenge across the decade and in all work that we've ever done is a lack of predictable income. So when you're an independent worker, you don't 
necessarily know when you're going to get paid. And that is actually a bigger challenge from the point of view of the independent workers themselves than overall income. On average, uh, independent workers tend to be reasonably happy with their overall income, but they don't like that it doesn't come in regularly. And of course, the reason for that is most of our bills come in regularly. And so therefore, it requires a lot more financial planning. You don't know if you're going to have a dry streak, and so you need more financial reserves, and you never know exactly when you're going to get your next set of business. And so not enough predictable income is by far the the biggest challenge. And then the related challenge is worrying about the next job. No matter how successful an independent worker is, if you ask them what their concerns are, in their top three will always be, I'm worried about the next job because I run out of business in X amount of time, where X might be next week, or it might be next month, or it might even be next year. But independent workers worry about their pipeline and whether or not they're going to get additional business coming in. The third one is benefits. Independent workers don't have the traditional set of corporate supplied benefits. They have to supply them themselves. And that can be both expensive and difficult. One of the big shifts that happened during the study was the passage of the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, and that had a major positive impact on independent workers in that it made it easier and cheaper for independent workers to secure health insurance. Prior to the ACA, in some states, it was extremely hard for an independent worker to get health insurance of any kind, um, much less affordable health insurance. And so the ACA, we saw that as a challenge fall. Over the last couple of years, its benefits, the cost of benefits, the cost of health insurance has been rising again, and it's still one of the top threes. And so those are, those are really the top um, concerns that independent workers have and, how, and the challenges that they face. Wonderful. That is, that's a really helpful overview. And it leads me back to even thinking about points in my life where I've reflected on all of those questions, you know, starting out um, an independent career or even talking about business ownership in general, because I think some of what you've described are the same problems that any business owner would face in leaving the protection of traditional employment to strike out on their own. And within the study, One of the most fascinating aspects of the study for me as an entrepreneur myself and as somebody who studies entrepreneurship alongside the future of work is that subset of independent professionals that fall into what I'd call the sort of high earning, high skill group or the 100K plus independents that in a sense are sort of living the dream and that they're earning at that level without a traditional role. I would love for you to paint a picture of who these individuals are and, and what does that cohort look like? It's, it's, a, it's a large group. It's about four million right now, three and a half, four million that we refer to as sort of the highly skilled, high earning independent workers. And first off, they're older. The average age is about 48. Most of them have 10 years or more experience as an independent worker. And they tend to be highly educated. 73% have a college degree versus 34% overall for the U.S. And 29% have graduate degrees versus about 14% for the U.S. And so you're talking about a, a group with good skills, good backgrounds, good experience. They tend to skew male. They're about 64% male, 36% female. And they've gone independent primarily for flexibility, autonomy, and control. Very consistently, they tell us control over their schedule, the ability to work on projects that they like, 
better work-life balance from their perspective. But it's really, in the end, it's the control that they truly do love. They get to do the type of work they like to do. They get to do it the way they like to do it. And they're the most satisfied group on average of any group we track. Well over 90% state that they're satisfied or highly satisfied. I would just add in that I fall into this camp. And so I really do identify with them. I've been at it for 20 years. I've got a good client base and I did this for control and I continue to do it for control. So it's an interesting group. The top professions tend to be, not surprising, consulting-oriented, consulting, coaching and research, creative services is a big Mm -hmm. one. And of course, information technology has grown consistently over the 10-year period as, as IT has become more important in our overall economy. There's another theme that I personally find really exciting and sort of uplifting, especially given the world we're in today and some of our thoughts generally about workforce and career nationally. There's a whole theme around independent work that's part of this 2020 report by MBO that you worked very closely on and and helped guide around happiness, health, and financial stability. You mentioned earlier all the challenges. But now this is a different side, right? There's all these challenges, but yet we have a theme around happiness, health, and being financially sound. Tell us what that looks like and what does that mean for this workforce? It's interesting. We started looking into happiness and health four or five years ago, and we very consistently heard from independent workers that they see themselves as being happier because they're independent workers. And about 80% of them tell us that. About 65% say they're healthier. And when you dig under those numbers, you you find very quickly it gets back to the flexibility, autonomy, and control. And there's a much broader set of studies, workforce studies, academic studies, that reinforce the fact that people who have control over their work environments Mm -hmm. and control over their schedules are both happier and healthier than people who don't. And so it's not surprising, given that independent workers tend to have a lot of control and also are choosing to do it in most cases for that control and flexibility, that they too are happier and healthier than traditional workers. And so it it fits right into the broader academic studies on health and happiness and work perfectly. And so we weren't actually surprised by the results. Uh, It just reinforced existing studies, few of which had dug into independent workers or the self-employed. But the few academic studies that had done that also found similar results. And to me, what makes that statistic really eye-popping or the set of statistics is the general unhappiness with traditional work. And I, I, I think what I'm hearing under the data and under the commentary is where work can provide that set of important human interactions that have to do with being in control of your own career destiny. You have happier people and a happier society. So... I'm a fan of that data, and I, I'm excited to hear you share it. Yeah, and part of, part of looking at independent work, independent work competes with traditional jobs for people. And we've always been surprised that companies haven't responded by making traditional work more flexible, um, giving employees more control and more autonomy. We may see that happening now because of what's happened with COVID. And so it'll be interesting. That's an interesting thing to look at going forward. But yes, traditional work, you know, engagement levels are are low, happiness levels are relatively low. People are very happy with a traditional paycheck. But outside of that, uh, a lot of people are not happy with traditional work. You mentioned that there 
maybe a coming transformation related to sort of the tipping point of the pandemic and all the other technological changes. And, you know, we're hearing this idea of a remote work revolution. We've heard about people getting into a van, you know, hashtag van life. We've heard about digital nomads living around the world. And these are all topics that you've really carefully studied and understand. Where do you see that fitting into the picture for the independent? Well, without a doubt, I think we're going to see an increase in remote work. Companies have discovered during the pandemic that remote work works. And lots of companies now are publicly stating that they're going to go to some form of hybrid remote work on campus work style. A number of companies have said they're going 100% remote. But what we'll see is, I think, from most companies, particularly larger companies, that they'll go to a hybrid where people are expected in the office one day a week or one day a month or two days a week. And that will vary by the type of work that they do, of course. But that percentage of people working remotely versus what it was prior to COVID is going to grow substantially. So I think there's little doubt that we'll see a big increase in remote work. The subset, you know, the van lifers, the subset of remote workers that we call digital nomads, those are people that travel about and the way we define them, they have to have told us that they've been in at least three different places over the past year while they work and or plan to be in three different going forward. We saw a huge increase in that group in 2020, primarily driven by traditional employees. If you go back 2019 or 2018, about two-thirds of the digital nomads were independent workers. But in 2020, almost two-thirds are traditional workers. And that's because a bunch of traditional workers have been unleashed from their offices. And so we see that trend continuing to grow going forward. It'll probably fall back a little bit as offices open up and people go back to work. But the long-term trend towards digital nomads we see continuing to increase. You've There's a natural interest in travel. Gen Z coming up is a very travel-oriented group. The increase in flexibility that companies are going to be offering will give them the ability to do that. We've asked Americans who aren't digital nomads if they'd like to be digital nomads, and 64 million of them said yes. Most of them won't do that. We call them armchair digital nomads. But there's clearly a lot of demand for travel and interest in this lifestyle. And with companies allowing more remote workers, we see it as uh, as a real growth trend going forward. Fascinating. I know I'd love to be one of those van lifers or digital nomads, and we'll start to hopefully get on the road again when uh, when it's safe and when travel allows. But in the meanwhile, I'm going to shift gears and talk about some numbers. And I think that it's very important for those that are listening, maybe they're new to independent work as a concept, or maybe they're really steeped in the industry and they followed you and MBO's work for years. But let's talk about where we were at the beginning in terms of just absolute numbers of workers in the cohort of independent work and where we stand today. And then later, we'll talk about what does that look like in the future. But today, I think even seeing the compare and contrast would be fascinating. Yeah. Back in 2011, initially, we were only tracking uh, independent workers who are full-time right. in this study, but we can we can kind of estimate from beyond that. The, the number of, of independent workers was in the roughly 30 million range, 16 million of which were full-time. And as we, as we go up to uh, 
2019, we were a little over 40 million independent workers. And that growth rate is in the two and a half to 3% range per year. Doesn't sound like a lot in absolute terms, but in terms of labor markets, that's really fast. The overall rate of growth in employment over that time period was about eight tenths of 1%. And so so we're looking at the independent workforce over that time frame growing at roughly 3x the rate of, of overall employment. So it's growing quite rapidly on a relative basis. Um, 2020, of course, the pandemic hit. Traditional employment fell substantially, as did independent work. We, we had it falling to about 38 million, so it declined about 8 or 9% relative to what we had in 2019. Uh, not surprising. But it's it's already coming back. Um, it's a little early to to know exactly where the numbers are. A lot of data is coming in from different directions. But we just had in Q3 huge surge in business applications, which are filings for uh, a tax ID that you can use as a business. They were up seventy percent over Q2. Totally unprecedented. We've never the biggest increase we've had quarter over quarter since that data has been tracked for about the last 20 years, was only about 8%. So definitely a surge is starting to happen in terms of people forming new businesses. The vast majority of those will be solopreneur businesses. Probably 70% will be solopreneur businesses. So we're definitely, uh, while we're down um, during the course of this year, independent work was down a, a little less than the overall workforce, but it appears to be coming back very quickly. The solopreneur statistic that you shared is really quite telling. And the idea that in the future, many of us will pivot from a traditional employment approach to work to thinking of their career as something that each of us individually drives essentially as a business of one or as a self-employed professional. Talk more about that and talk more about what you see based on your knowledge, you know, whether it's around the state of independence or beyond as someone who is a broader workforce expert. What do you see as the future for the self-employed in our country? Yeah, I, I need to start by saying that uh, at least for the next decade, the majority of Americans will have traditional jobs providing their primary source of income. So a lot of times people say, well, everybody's going to be independent. We're all going to be freelancers. That, that That's actually not where it's going. And so it's just important to point that out up front. Having said that, we've seen this growth rate at 3x. We actually expect that will maintain or even accelerate going forward. And it's the same trends that were driving it prior to COVID will drive it post-COVID. But COVID has accelerated a number of those trends. For example. We, we know that if organizations, as they hire more remote workers, even as traditional employees, they realize how easy it is to integrate remote workers into their workflows. They also jointly understand then, oh, wow, they don't have to actually be employees for us to easily integrate them into our teams. And mm-hmm. so we've seen a correlation between the rise of remote work and the rise of independent work. Uh, at a, at a second level, it's just become cheaper and easier to start your own business. You know, even five or six years ago, the average solopreneur spent less than $10,000 starting their business. We've seen those numbers drop down to less than 5000 And that's because of things like online talent marketplaces, product marketplaces like Etsy make it very cheap and easy to start a business. And 
economic theory is very clear on this. If something's easier and cheaper, it becomes more common. And so we have the economics behind it, that there'll be more. And then, of course, um, companies, having been hit by COVID, are doing everything they can to reduce their fixed costs, become more flexible and more agile. One way you do that is by substituting independent workers for traditional employees. And multiple surveys have already shown that companies have started on that path. They were on that path beforehand, but they're accelerating that path. And so COVID is actually accelerated several of the trends driving the shift to independent work. Because of that, we think once COVID has passed, we'll see independent work grow even faster than it did prior to the recession. Thinking about it, I think about two sort of constituents, right? Uh, As we think about the relationship between full-time work, which is clearly still a core driver, and independent work, the relationship between somebody who's providing work services and somebody who's trying to organize and design work to achieve an output, so a CEO, versus somebody who's serving a firm in whatever capacity. What do you think, if you switch for a moment to think about that owner, that CEO, that board of directors, the set of people that are thinking about how to design the future, what are the implications that you can draw from what we've learned in the independent work sphere for how they're going to be thinking about their organizations going forward? Well, there's a couple of broad things that have been happening. I mentioned the reduction in fixed costs. Want to be more flexible. You want to be more agile. And one of the interesting lessons that's come out of COVID is when COVID first hit, all sorts of people said Uber and Lyft would go bankrupt because their business would go to near zero. And their business did fall dramatically with, with both firms. But a funny thing happened. Their costs fell almost as much as their business did because they're a highly variable cost business. And suddenly, four or five months into the COVID, everybody said, oh my goodness, they've got billions of dollars in the bank. Their costs also fell. They're going to get through this. And then we had other companies that had high fixed costs. And when their revenue fell, their costs didn't fall. So one of the clear lessons from COVID will be get more flexible, get more agile, get more variable costs. And that's a very top of mind conversation going on in boardrooms all around and CEO suites all around the world. And that will lead to more independent work. A second level is, again, trends that were there prior to COVID, but have been accelerated. The second one is companies are realizing they have to be more permeable in terms of their boundaries. And so we've seen a lot more partnering amongst large and small companies companies trying to become ecosystems and and recruiting partners. And that also leads to the use of more independent workers. And so whereas 20 years ago, companies tended to think about vertical integration, they tended to think about only using their own employees, they tended to keep their partners at bay and not let them get actively involved in product development and other issues. All of that is, is shifted and again, accelerated by COVID. And so as you open up corporate boundaries and you start to stress ecosystems and partnerships, that just naturally also leads to more independent work. And then the last piece is just resilience at a, at a broad level. Companies have to figure out how to, how to be better prepared for the next event like this. And again, that becomes leveraging partnerships instead of doing your own investing leveraging third parties, leveraging independent workers. And so some of the very top 
issues that corporations are talking about right now all lead to the use of more independent workers. I know I've been doing a lot of thinking, and many of us have here at MBO, around platform economies, platform-style thinking, networked organizations, and so much of what you've just spoken about, it ties very neatly to that because it ties to the idea of bringing the outside in. And as you said, being less afraid of the other parts of your ecosystem and creating more collaboration. To me, it's fundamentally very empowering to think of an individual that initially, as we started out, our ideas around knowledge workers and career had to be held on really tight by the organization. So they were tied into an employment contract. They were inside a building, physically inside a closed door. And today they're out in the open market, working out of their home offices by and large or out of whichever hotel room or city they want to be in. And yet we still have collaboration, trust, and value creation. So to me, that is an incredible um, testament to the resilience of our economy and our ability to redefine what it is to be successful. You know, it's, it's really kind of an incredible story in that regard. So I love, I love hearing that. Yeah, and if, if you look at the top 10 market cap stocks, seven of them are what we would call ecosystem or platform businesses. Now you can kind of quibble over a couple of those, but corporations have noticed that value is linked to creating platforms and ecosystems. And I don't know of a single large company that isn't spending an enormous amount of time trying to figure out what their role is. Are they Do they create their own or do they participate in others? But that travels all the way down to small businesses and independent workers. And we advise the small businesses that we talk to and the independent workers, and we tell them, you're going to have to make ecosystem decisions, and they may be the most strategic decision you make about the business, which ones you participate in and how you participate. And that's now become a very important piece of being an independent worker or a small business owner. Talking now, as we come close to wrapping up what has been just a super rich and interesting discussion, and I know one of many that we'll have on this topic, I want to try to stop us for a moment. And even though none of us knows, especially today, given the uncertainties in our economy and, and everything happening with the pandemic, exactly what the future holds, we still can perhaps start to draw some conclusions, start to make some guesses or set some tone for even being as bold as to talk about workforce policy or business policy, which is something that I'm passionate about and care about um, as we think about the future of work. What picture can you draw as a data scientist, as somebody who's rooted in insights and as somebody who has been around this topic for a long time about what that future might look like in the independent work arena? Well, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about the fact that we, we believe there'll be more independent workers, that the growth of the independent workforce will continue. And so that's one piece of it. We've also seen, particularly over the last decade, that independent workers are being viewed much more strategically by particularly large corporations. And independent workers have very important roles, critical path roles amongst a lot of corporations at this point. That's particularly true in IT, in innovation efforts, in um, R&D, and even in corporate management, where you'll see a large increase in the number of companies that use interim senior management from the director level all the way up to C-level executives. And so definitely a, a, a continued growth area where uh, more strategic use of independent workers than in the past. 
We also see it as a lifestyle that will continue to be attractive, particularly Gen Z is already looking to be the most entrepreneurial generation of the modern era. And so they're already forming side businesses and side gigs and side hustles at a much higher level than their millennial brothers and sisters did. And they went independent much more than their Gen X brothers and sisters did. So demographically speaking, we also see that as a driver of growth. And so going forward, we just see this whole industry getting bigger and and a a more important part of the economy. I would add there's a negative side to all of this driver, a negative driver of the growth. And that is we're unfortunately also seeing a situation where middle-wage and middle-income jobs are becoming less prevalent in the U.S. economy. Unfortunately, due to automation, due to the need for more flexibility, we see that continuing too. And what happens when we hollow out middle wage jobs is a lot of workers, unfortunately, have to turn to second jobs or Mm -hmm. form of supplemental work to augment their income. And we see that happening at a growing rate also. And so the growth in side gigs and side hustles has been one of the main drivers of the growth of the independent workforce over particularly the last five or six years. We see that continuing also. So so we're going to see more full-time independence. We're going to see more full-time independence in in strategic positions and critical path positions at companies. But we're also going to see a continued rise in the number of people pursuing side gigs to supplement their income. I remember right at the beginning, and this visual has always stuck with me, and and I'm thinking about it as you're speaking right now, which is the idea of a barbell, right? So we talked about this 10 years ago, and we sketched it out on a piece of paper as, as the study was first being defined and discussed. And some of what you just described today describes that barbell in our workforce. So talk a little bit about that and it was your concept and your idea that you shared about a broader economic concept. So I think it's a, it's a telling place to end. Yeah, sadly, we did project a, over a decade ago that the economy would become, in terms of jobs, more barbell-like, with more jobs at the high end, more jobs, of, uh, more low-wage jobs, fewer middle-wage jobs. And that was a trend that, that was in place, started sort of in the 90s, maybe even the 80s, depending upon how you look at the data, but it, but it wasn't a very pronounced trend. Over the last decade, it's become very pronounced. And so what you end up with, it has major impacts on society and the economy. I mean, we see it now. About 20% of people with low-wage jobs are out of work right now. Middle-wage jobs, about 7 or 8% are out of work right now, but high-wage jobs are almost flat. It's almost back to normal for high-wage jobs. And so we've seen the decline in the percentage of Americans who say they're middle class. Uh, You go back to 1970 and about 65, 66% of Americans would say they were middle class. We're down to about, well, in a couple of years ago, 49% said it, about 51% are saying it today. A higher percentage are saying that they're upper class, but unfortunately a growing percentage are saying that they're lower class. So that barbell is in place. That forecast, unfortunately, became true. And if anything, looking now over the next decade, we see no reason why it won't continue to be in place, unfortunately. That leaves us with sort of a bifurcated set of opportunities or areas for impact within our workforce. It sounds like 
there's a tremendous opportunity within the low wage worker, whether that is an independent worker or a traditional worker, to create support and security and, and help that section of the population thrive and create opportunity for work creation, you know, and for work distribution. And then it sounds like on the higher end spectrum, the high earner, whether a traditional worker or an independent worker, it is about um, an acceleration of this ability to be a successful operative, you know, in the world of work, taking your knowledge, you know, in a suitcase and going and offering it, whether as an interim executive, whether as a, a high end, high paid worker, or whether as an independent owner with your own firm. And being able to plug in in a networked way to value creation. So, so very telling and I think very relevant to anyone thinking about this sector is, you know, where do they fit and where do they play either individually or as an entity, as an organization? How flexible are they? You talked about the fixed versus variable cost of, of engaging as a company. And I think that's an excellent area for reflection as we're sort of entering this decade that has been such a rough and rocky start. And then I, I do though want to bring it back to, I'm, I think because I'm just inherently an optimistic person and I'm somebody who believes that the future can be brighter than the past and maybe that's just blinders and maybe I shouldn't be that way, but I think that way. And so to me, the magic of this is happier, healthier people are so for a reason. And you mentioned autonomy, you mentioned control, you mentioned flexibility, and being able to do what it is that you are good at and want to do, think a great imperative for society that maybe 2020 state of independence could teach us is, how do we get more people into that part of the conversation, you know, about careers in general, and whether or not that career is an independent career, maybe that's something that as a society, we should all be striving toward. Yeah, I, I'm optimistic, too, for the country, for the workforce, for America. Uh, without a doubt, we will bounce back and, and have already started bouncing back from COVID. And I think going forward, there's going to be much greater opportunity for highly skilled people to pursue an independent path. And, and because of that, more will, because it does offer the flexibility, autonomy and control that, that so many people seek. And so certainly for that demographic, things are looking good. I think for low-wage workers, independent work will, will present itself with two types of alternatives. One is, is to supplement their income and provide greater levels of financial security and in many ways be a safety net alternative to our traditional safety nets, which frankly aren't very safe. I think it also provides a path for people if they're able to upskill. I think it provides a path for people to move up in the economy that in the past hasn't really existed. And so uh, at several levels, we see independent work being part of the solution to our broad set of societal and work problems. Well, I want to thank you, Steve, for, as always, an incredibly intellectually interesting, rich discussion, you know, steeped in so much knowledge. And as I mentioned at the start of this conversation, I've always had a lot of respect for what the team at Emergent has done in terms of quietly powering a lot of the great insights that many of the world's biggest corporations, in fact, many of them that are your clients, have turned to to help them understand the growth of micro-business, the growth of small business, and its role in our broader conversation about economic output, knowing that the independent workforce today represents more than a trillion in economic value creation, even despite 
It's a relatively small size in the overall GDP. I think it's very significant that it's already hit that sort of north of 5% range. And I know that uh, at MBO, through this vehicle of our new State of Independence podcast, we're going to continue to have thoughtful, strategic, maybe some contrarian conversations about this, just to help everyone who's in this space that I think respects and understands each other's point of view, but help us to get better at making this workforce work better. So to me, that's the theme moving forward. How do we how do we design a future of work that best supports all of its stakeholders? And you, you alluded to this in, in talking about the different aspects of it. So thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you for being a part of the study for 10 years and, and continuing to be a driver. And uh, look forward to many more conversations. Thanks very much for having me. I've enjoyed it. That was Steve King of Emergent Research, who helped conceive with Gene Zeno and the team at MBO, the first State of Independence in America report in 2011, and has continued to help MBO partners mine insights on the future of work. The 2020 SOI report is available now at mbopartners.com slash state dash of dash independence. Take a look at our 10 trends driving the next decade of work or find another episode of State of Independence wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.